the bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today we have with us a very special guest, Dr. Carolyn Lukensmeyer. Now, Carolyn is someone who I met about a year ago in Talberg, Sweden, at the Talberg Forum, which um, was a huge gathering of leaders from around the world looking at how we can make change happen. And that's very near and dear to Carolyn's heart because she is really a social change leader. She's founder and president of America Speaks. America Speaks is a nonprofit that works to reinvigorate democracy by engaging citizens in public decision making. I can't wait to hear more about that. Carolyn, welcome to the show. Cheryl, I'm delighted to be with you. Thanks so much for inviting me. Well, it's so nice. Now, you've, have you been traveling a lot lately? I have. Our work has once again drawn a lot of attention in Europe. So I've actually been back and forth to several places in Europe in the last few months. Oh, interesting. Well, we'll have to hear more about that as we move on into the show. Now, let's just start at the beginning. Um, you have a background in social change. You have been involved in um, working in politics, um, not only as an internal staffer, as a chief of staff of um, a governor of a state, but also in consulting to the White House um, chief of staff. And you have consulted um, to large projects. I, I believe you worked on Al Gore's project when it was the National Performance Review with Reinventing Government, right? That task force, you were That's true. involved in I, that? Yes, yeah. I was. Yes, I was. So you've had a lot of connection to, to the political side of things. Um, and and you grew up, so to speak, in the um, kind of the organizational change arena. Is that right? That's true. Mm-hmm. So what got you interested in looking at alternative ways to bring citizen voice forward? Well, if I go way back to the beginning, Cheryl, I think I was always fascinated by what happens to people in systems. And I think even as a very young person, I don't know how I would have articulated it way back then, but I was very conscious of the fact that in many of social economic problems, we focus on what the individual should has to do or has to take responsibility for, but very often if you put it in the context in which that person is living their life, it's without question a systemic issue or a social issue. So take any example you want to take today. If we talk about single moms raising kids by themselves, well, we can look at that of how did each woman end up in that circumstance, or we can look at the fact that in the United States of America today, a huge portion of our children are being raised by a single parent, actually an increasing number of them being single dads. So that would suggest that our social policy in terms of how families receive support 
for families, youth, and children needs to make a shift because our families are no longer constituted of mom, dad, and a couple of kids. Mm-hmm. So that was what took me originally to go into working in the field of organization design, where I was really looking at how a company or how a government puts together its strategy, its structure, and its human resources to accomplish the mission and the goals that it sets out um, on an annual or biannual basis. And uh, that worked for about 15 years. I ran my own consulting firm, working both in the private sector and public sector. And that work evolved into uh, me working in Ohio State government on a contract to develop a strategic plan for the state of Ohio. In fact, Ohio was the first state ever to create a statewide strategic plan instead of just each agency having its own strategy. There was an actual coordination across agencies to achieve certain targets. And that led to, in the second term, the then governor of Ohio, Richard Celeste, um, took a big risk. At that point, National Governors Association says that Celeste is the first governor in the country to actually select someone out of the professional organization and management field mm-hmm. to be his chief of staff. Ordinarily, that job, or traditionally that job, had gone to people out of the campaign, a finance director or a campaign manager. Right. Right. But governors were the first politicians in the country to really wake up to the fact that the skills that it takes to run a campaign are very, very different than the skills it takes Mm -hmm. to govern. So now, actually, this is now 20 years later, it's pretty common for governors to pick someone as chief of staff who actually has a background in understanding bureaucracy, who actually gets what it takes to implement a law once a law is passed. Mm -hmm. So there are people who are on the ground. (laughs) People exactly. on the ground, they get yeah, they get they know exactly. how to get things done. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm curious about um, the way you think because you've you've identified yourself as a systems thinker, and I certainly have experienced that in you. And I'm wondering, um, you know, how much do you see people understanding the concept of the systems thinking and how everything's connected? Well, I really think that one of the quite extraordinarily positive uh, consequences of the generations of young people that are now growing up in a web-connected world, I believe, and the generation gets called the millennials in terms of the most current one, but I think we are looking at probably the first generation of people who consciously think of themselves as global citizens. Now, in past generations, there were a lot of individuals who evolved into that by virtue of their own worldview or their jobs. But I think we're looking at a generation now that that if you conceive of people's connections much more on a horizontal network perspective, Uh than the hierarchical who do you report to and who reports to you, almost by definition that leads you to think more systemically. Right. So I think there's really, uh, and, and it's just in time, I would say. <laughs> I, think, I, think the, <laughs> I think the second force that is taking a lot of human beings all around the globe to think more systemically 
and is literally seeing the impacts of uh, global warming and climate change. And I think, you know, even people who lived through the, now taking a U.S.-centric perspective, the first oil crisis in the mid-'70s, if you think back to that period, Cheryl, it took quite a long time before people made the connection between what was going on in the Middle East, how oil gets moved around the world, and gas prices, and therefore what should people be wanting from a federal policy point of view from the national government. Right. And we all remember Jimmy Carter putting his sweater on and asking us to sacrifice, and that that actually had a fairly negative impact on Carter's political yeah. future. Yeah. Well, I think if you fast forward to today, you know, I think you could go into a grocery store or go into a high school, and people could already describe to you the link between oil production and distribution gas prices, and food prices. Mm-hmm. So I think that interconnectedness, the, the consequences of how we're all systemically impacting one another, uh, the, the time cycle of, of the evidence of it is shortening, and I think people are getting it much quicker. Mm-hmm. And that really speaks to access to information, which is what the Internet provides us, right? Yes, it does. Well, and so, you know, when I think about things as they have evolved, utilizing the Internet into social networking and how groundswells around issues have occurred overnight, you know, how easy it is, maybe easy is the wrong word, but the capacity to generate opinion and to um, generate people to take action around things uh, has accelerated tremendously because of the Internet. And your one of the things you talk about is how to actually capture the full capacity of the Internet and that we really haven't been doing that um, in a way that can make a difference. Can you talk a little bit about that? I'd love to. I think, you know, the Internet has just been an amazing leap in terms, as you said, of the amount of information accessible to anyone who wants to go for it, find it. It also immediately was an extraordinary tool for uh, broadcasting in the sense of mm-hmm. I could get my voice heard by thousands slash millions of people. The place that's been slower to develop on the Internet and I think is captured in the what now gets called Web 2.0, as you acknowledge some of the social networking sites, but there's still a next step that must happen, which is how do we as people learn to actually meaningfully deliberate on the net. So we know that we think family policies in the U.S. should be different than they are. Well, if, if I have an idea of a specific thing I want to advocate for, the net's wonderful. I'd say we should raise the minimum wage virtually on an annual basis. So I can go out and generate other people who have that interest and we can focus on targeting our legislators. But the step that's missing, and I picked the family policy when just I happened to mention it in the beginning today, is I think we don't yet really know all of what the most effective family policies would be in the country, which means there's the need for collective creativity 
We need to share our life experiences with one another, have the time to talk with one another about the implications of those various different experiences in an urban setting, a rural setting, a middle-class family, a lower-income family. And what the net hasn't yet provided us, we just haven't, there's a lot of experimentation happening, but the platforms don't exist that make it easy to use the net as a truly democratic space for deliberation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a step we have to go if we're going to see the full power of the net to really bring collective solutions that are more inclusive and more just for more people. And so what that gives us is the opportunity to um, not only reach more people, but reach more people um, in, in a direct way, and they can get their opinion back to the leaders in a direct way, not watered down and not through, um, you can tell my age, watered down email <laughs> letters all, you know, all the way right. through. You know, pass right. this on. Tell your, tell your congressperson. Um, so we're going to, this is an interesting start to our conversation, Carolyn. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more with Carolyn Lucasmeyer. From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. More and more business people recognize the importance of spirituality in their work. How do busy professionals discover what rings true for them? Embracing the journey with Karen Humphrey Salad explores what it means to be spiritually fulfilled in business and how to integrate spiritual direction into a career. Expert guests, authors, and inspiring speakers join Karen every week to discuss such issues as honesty, compassion, generosity, ethics, and integrity in the workplace. Take a positive step forward to greater life balance. Tune into Embracing the Journey with Karen Humphrey Salad, broadcasting every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. Now back to your host, Cheryl. We're back and we're speaking with Dr. Carolyn Lindsay this morning. Carolyn uh, is founder uh, and president of America Speaks, a national nonprofit that works to reinvigorate democracy. So, Carolyn, tell us about America Speaks. We, we learned about some of your background, and um, you, that moved you to take big action in the form of this organization called America Speaks. So, tell us all about it. Well, we were speaking in the earlier segment about the fact that I had the privilege of serving as Chief of Staff to the Governor of Ohio. And in that role, I had a chance to really see in a very deep way how politics and government works in the United States, 
and an opportunity to see the pain that existed both amongst the public and amongst the best of our elected officials mm. at the distance and disconnect from the general public and the government once the election is over. So it took me on the track of doing some experimentation even while I was chief of staff in Ohio in terms of understanding better how you could keep, in that case, a governor more authentically in connection with collective citizen voice. You know, special interest groups mm-hmm. have no trouble getting elected officials to hear right. their positions on, on any topic. So I then moved to Washington and had the privilege of working in the executive branch and really saw the disconnect at a writ large, much, much more intense, much, you know, really understood very quickly that there was virtually nothing in Washington that was a force to ensure that ordinary people's voices were in the policy development process. And it was as a result of that understanding, you know, I, I was born in 1945, and I grew up, came of age, literally in the social movements in this country, civil rights, the anti-war, environment, the women's movement. And at some place in the 80s and 90s in this country, we stopped doing social change in that form. And yet if you think about it, at moments when there is a disconnect from where the public wants the country to go and where the political system is taking the country, the link that has to be made is a link between public will and political will. Mm-hmm. And for some, however it happened over those couple of decades, many, many Americans became convinced that their voice just didn't matter. So they basically stopped trying to be heard on the issues that they really cared about. And what that led me to understand was that we had to create some new forms. We had to create some new avenues for people to experience that their voices did matter and for public officials to see that the conventional wisdom about the public that kind of was dominant in the 80s and 90s, you know, people don't care, that it's all NIMBY, it's only don't do it in my backyard, and that they didn't have enough information to make good decisions. There just needed to be some moments to demonstrate both to the public, to the media, and to elected officials that there really is a very strong interest on the public's part to be in the circle and to make a difference on education policy, on health care reform, on immigration, whatever topic you want to mention. Mm-hmm. So I spent some time just trying to visualize, just trying to think through, given what we know in this point in our information technology-rich world, how could you take the the town meeting, the philosophy that our founding fathers really started the country with, which is a deep, deep belief in self-governance, that if you gave people the information and if the whole town was in the meeting, that they would make the best decision about the school budget. They would make the best decision about the town budget. So I basically took that model and added to it using information technology. It was standardly used in other contexts all the time, but had not been applied to public policy. And well, and, making... you know, I have to tell you that, you know, when people hear the concept of town meeting, a lot of times what comes up for people is this image of a lot of loud mouths, a lot of opinion screamers, a lot of um, conflict. 
and 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 no real resolution. And so, you know, what what are you doing that's different? That you know, it doesn't well, end up. Like I'm that. really I'm really glad you mentioned that, Cheryl, because the other image, that, in addition to the one that you mentioned. A lot of what we began to see calling town meetings were basically media personalities holding a town meeting on television, but mostly it was talking heads. The public was really more like an audience. So the critical design features that we put together to just upend that process and once again have the voices that be heard really be the public's, I think let me try to draw a visual picture of it for your listeners. Mm. Imagine a, your, the convention center in your community and think of a big open space. And let's say in this town hall meeting we want a 1,000 people who are demographically representative of the community. And their task, we actually did what I'm about to say in Washington, D.C. with the mayor for eight years, where every two years at the convention center we actually had 4,000 members of the public demographically representative of the city. So it was the right age distribution, the right gender, the right race and ethnicity, the right income level, and the right Uh geography all across the city. And imagine that space filled with round tables. So in the case of 4,000 people, there were 400 round tables, 10 members of the public at every table, randomly assigned so you'd be sitting with people you'd never met before that lived in a different part of the city than you do. And then each table has a trained facilitator. And that's necessary to make sure that the conversation at each table is truly demographic. Because, Cheryl, you know how it is. Some of us grow up extroverts and some of us grow up right. shy. And So if right. you just left the ten people to themselves, probably two or three of them would dominate. But by having the facilitator at the table, you make sure that every voice is really heard. Then each table has its own wireless laptop computer at the table. So, for example, when we're doing a budget discussion and people talk about what are the program areas that you'd really like additional budget resources to be dedicated to and know that Every person has an information guide, a discussion guide, so they're all looking at material that's been created in advance about the proposed budget for the city. How much does the mayor and council think should go to community policing? How much do they think should go to education? And then the public has a chance to react to that and to mm-hmm. make statements about where they think those dollars should go. Mm-hmm. So every table types their answer into the computer, and all those answers go simultaneously, all real time, to an area in the convention center where we have what we call a theme team and a central computing function. So every table's data goes to the theme team. The members of the theme team are literally reading the computer screens live time. So they look for the themes. They look for the what are the places that many, many tables. For example, the first time we did this in Washington, the overwhelming majority of people wanted more money to go to the public education system. So once we understand that, we then flash those priorities up on large audiovisual screens. So again, everybody in the room, the data is all totally transparent. Everybody sees it at the same time. And then every citizen has their own keypad polling device. So we can say, all right, of these 15 priorities, that 4,000 of you pick these 15 priorities. 
But we don't even want the mayor and council to have that much freedom. We want you to tell the mayor and council, we want you to rank order these priorities so that in the end, the mayor and the council really know exactly where you want those dollars to go. So then every person in the room votes on their budget priorities. So over the course of a day, 4,000 demographically representative citizens really talk through the choices and collectively decide what they want the city's budget, where they want the emphasis to be. That first year when we did it, when education was a priority, the mayor actually invested $70 million extra dollars into the education system that wouldn't have happened if the public hadn't spoken. Now, you know, that is an incredible story. And I'm wondering, um, have you since been able to follow that thread, follow that um, action that has occurred and gone back to any of the people at the gathering to say, so what do you think about, you know, what you wanted to have happen that then happened and, you know, then then what? You know, did it work? Did you make the right decisions? You know, is there a way to circle back in that? Well, we were fortunate in Washington, since the mayor was really committed to this, that, yes, we did cycle back on a regular basis for eight years, actually. Mm-hmm. And in that case, in each biennial cycle, big shifts in dollars occurred by what the public wanted, and the city actually committed to creating a website that the public had access to where you could see where each agency in the city, how the dollars were flowing, and when, in fact, they actually implemented those dollars. So it wasn't just Uh the members of city council or just the cabinet secretaries or just the civil Mm -hmm. servants. The public themselves could literally watch the progress. And what it led to was a tremendous number of people being very interactive with people in government agencies on a regular basis. So it changed the norm about how the public in the city interacted with not just the elected officials, but with the public servants who were actually implementing the program. Right. And this really um, speaks to your uh, principles, the four principles or what it is you're actually aiming to do with America Speaks, um, you know, that I read about the institutionalizing the discussions. Um, you know, so you make them something that is standard and expected. And um, sustaining citizen participation, I mean, you know, how do you, you know, doing that in a way that it is, going to happen again and again. That's, that's pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing, Cheryl. And I, I tell you, one of the things that I am most excited about in the current election cycle on mm. the national level, both men who are running for president, although they're very different in the area that we're talking about in terms of transparency, accountability, inclusiveness of government, John McCain has a terrific government reform record. Uh, Barack Obama has run his campaign in probably the most inclusive way that a presidential campaign has yeah. ever been run in the United yeah. States. So I actually think for the first, when I first created America Speaks in 1995 on this question of institutionalization, every time I gave a speech, I would talk about the long-term vision is that we actually create new mechanisms, that this just becomes the way our government does its business, Mm -hmm. that we just become the democracy we said we wanted to be, 
in our Constitution and in our Declaration of Independence, that we make it more actually true. And I, I would acknowledge, I said, I don't expect to see this in my lifetime because it's not how politics is operating in this country. But every step that we take, we show you can do it in Washington, D.C. We show you can do it on youth obesity in eight cities across the country. Every step is worth taking because someday there will be an openness to actually create the new mechanism. Well, it's been you amazing. You are a patient person. <laughs> well, what's you wonderful. are a patient person. Well, it's true. When you're dealing with social change, you have to be a patient person. You and, do have to be a patient person. And you have to be able to seize a moment when a kind of opening comes that no one would have believed would be there. Right. And I think right. that's where we are in 2008. Because well, I we're going to talk more about this moment <laughs> okay. when we come back from the next moment, which is a break. We'll be right back. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The economy and financial markets continue to expand in both their size and complexity. But being able to anticipate changes in the markets for housing, jobs, and financial assets remains a crucial ingredient to our financial well-being. On The Economy and the Markets, with economist, investment strategist, portfolio manager, and host, Doug Cliggett, utilizes his 25 years of experience with that of his highly informed guests to provide clear, reasoned explanations of current events. To navigate the markets that influence our lives every day of the week, tune into The Economy and the Markets with Doug Cliggett, broadcasting each Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The economy and the markets. Clear thoughts in a complex world. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Well, welcome back, everybody. This is Cheryl Escovita with Leading Conversations. We're speaking with Dr. Carolyn Lukensmeyer today, founder and president of America Speaks. Carolyn, before we went to break, we were talking. You were speaking about um, the incredible moment that we are in our history, especially in the U.S. Um, what's happening with our political um, presidential campaign and um, the opportunity moving forward? Can you pick up on that and talk a little bit about how you see things moving forward? 
I'd be delighted to. I, I, first off, we have to acknowledge and give recognition to the fact that in both the Republican primary and the Democrat primary this year, uh, that we saw a level of excitement and a level of engagement that hasn't been seen in the country for a very long time. And we know this comes out of people's angst. We know this comes out of, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's the highest recorded poll data we've ever seen in terms of right. the percentage of Americans that think the country is going in the wrong direction. So we know there's some pain and concern behind that. But the, but the great news is, People are actually being active to express again, what kind of a country do I want the America to be in the 21st century? Mm. And so I think the moment that we have in, in, for people all over the country is, <clears throat> is knowing that now is a time that we should stay engaged through the general election, and each of us will have our own choice about the candidate. But in this core issue of how our democracy works, each of these men, Barack Obama and John McCain, each of them have a passion about wanting the government to be more accountable, more inclusive, and more transparent. And I think in the ensuing weeks as the campaign continues, this is a topic that people should press the candidates on. But my own perspective is we already see, and Barack Obama has already been more specific about how he would do it, but I have Mm -hmm. confidence that the openness there is equally available with John McCain, Mm -hmm. that once they're elected president, the first task that each of them has is to become the president of all of the people. You know, we always say that symbolically in the United States, but frankly, mm-hmm. it is mostly symbolism. Presidents have not right. traditionally taken an action to actually demonstrate that they want to be the president of all the people. Mm-hmm. So America Speaks has actually proposed to both candidates that whoever is elected on that first Tuesday in November, that even before they are inaugurated, they should actually take advantage of what's possible and hold a national discussion with all Americans about the direction of the country so that they're not just saying the words that they want to become the president to all of the people, but they are actually engaging all of the people in the direction of the country in the next four years. And I think this is entirely possible. This could really happen. This sounds like leadership. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I say that kind of off the cuff, but I mean, people who are in leadership roles uh, over many in the last few years have really abdicated their leadership. And you know, this sounds like true leadership, where there's where people in power are saying, "Okay, this is what I want to do as a leader." These are some of our options. You know, let's come together. Let's gather together and decide what road we're going to take. And, you know, that hasn't happened, I don't think, in my lifetime, ever. It it hasn't happened in a very long time. And you see, Cheryl, one of the tragedies of partisan politics as it's evolved over the last couple of decades as the money in politics has increased and as the power of special interests has increased, the partisan political system actually won't let solutions emerge. 
And yet when you bring the public back into it, it's one of the extraordinary things about American culture. The vast majority of us really, what primarily drives us is solving the problem. So we would rather see a solution than continue. You know, healthcare reform is probably the best example. You know, leaders in both parties, Orrin Hatch, a very, very powerful moderate Republican from Utah, and Ron Wyden, a Democrat from Oregon, sponsored a bill a couple of years ago called the Healthcare for All Americans Act. And in that bill, they just they articulated right out loud that no systemic change would happen in the United States on health care reform until there was a huge public demand. And the reason for that was because too many members of Congress were beholden upon the special interest groups for campaign contributions to win their seats back. So right. here's even members of the Senate acknowledging how the partisan process has gotten dysfunctional and that the primary solution to it in the framework of American democracy is bringing the public back into it in a strong, legitimate role. It's true in health care. It's true in immigration reform. It's true in the investment in education to really bring every young person forward, not to get comfortable like we seem to have grown of many, many kids just falling through the cracks. So the, if the public will stay engaged and we elect a president who's committed to really authentically staying connected to the public after the election, mm-hmm. it could be amazing what we could change in a short period of time in this country. Well, I hope they say yes to you. <laughs> that would be fantastic. <laughs> well, that thank was a you. great idea. Um, you know, when I think about citizen involvement um, over the last you know, 10 or 20 years, the idea of um, citizen involvement has been about um, go to the polls and vote for this proposition that's now on the ballot. And my perspective, and other people have said this to me, that you know, putting a proposition on the ballot for people to vote on typically is putting something on the ballot that is um, spinned in a way that makes it very complicated for people to understand to begin with. Um, people vote on emotion based on the little bit that they may know or think they know about that issue. And that in the reality, there's no leadership in that. You know, your leaders really are not um, helping to provide guidance. They may be providing sound bites, but very little guidance as to, you know, where we should be going, what we should be doing. Leaders have really given up their um, responsibility of taking a stand. It sounds to me like this, um, what you are, are describing is something that will make that whole issue of going to the ballots to vote, going to the polls to vote on these propositions, almost obsolete. Well, Cal, it's fascinating that you bring that up, Cheryl, because America Speaks actually did a project in California in 2007 called California Speaks. And we were invited both by Governor Schwarzenegger, obviously a Republican, and the Democratic leadership at the time of both houses in the California legislature, the Assembly, which was Fabian Nunez, at the, he was the Speaker, and the President Pro Tem of the Senate was Don Parada from Oakland. 
And they specifically invited us to work on the issue of health care reform because of what you're describing of how the initiative and referendum process is a failed, broken process. Mm-hmm. And they understood they all wanted to do systemic change in health care reform. They really wanted the public involved, and they knew they needed a public constituency that would stay with whatever set of decisions came out. And some of your listeners might actually, that website is still up and fully active in terms of seeing exactly how the strategy worked. It's just www.californiaspeaks.org. And there were about five areas that the governor and the Democratic leadership each had proposals in, and so what we there was an employer mandate, an individual mandate, um, uh, ruling on insurance companies no longer being able to use pre-existing conditions to keep people off of insurance policies. So it was, they were very wide-reaching, specific proposals. And America Speaks' job was to bring a random sample of the California population together to discuss these options. And we did that. We had 3,400 people. They were distributed across eight sites, running from San Diego, San Luis Obispo, uh, Riverside, Fresno, um, Oakland, um, Sacramento, and in Humboldt County near Eureka. Mm-hmm. Seems like I left one out. It's been a while since I've listed them all. I hope I got them. <laughs> uh, but and people then spent a day looking at, uh, our question to them was, under what condition would you support a proposal on employer mandate, and what do you think the elements in that proposal should be? And we systematically went through the day in each of the areas of reform, and the, then there was an independent analysis done by researchers after the fact when the bill that the governor and the legislative leadership agreed on said that the bill accepted about 70% of what the public had suggested in that process called California Speaks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then it went forward. Now, here's the sad part of it. It passed in the Senate. The governor was ready to sign. Excuse me. It passed in your assembly. The -hmm. governor had signaled that he would sign it, but it did not pass the Senate. And then, unfortunately, the secondary mortgage crisis hit California very badly, and your budget deficit has meant that this is now tabled. But as a a demonstration that both the public will do their part and what you are focused on, that leaders will actually step up and take the risk of putting out a proposition that they believe will solve the problem, this project was a perfect example of that. Right. And and I know that those are... I know that both the governor and legislative leaders are wanting to reopen that process once Uh, the budget deficit is solved. Yeah. Well, that's a great example of how this is being used um, for something so critical to the lives of citizens. So let's talk more about this, and maybe you can tell us some stories about New Orleans when we come back after this break. The Bottom Line in Business, Voice America Business. 
Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And welcome back. We're speaking with Carolyn Lukenmeiser today. And Carolyn, um, let's talk a little bit about some of the experiences you've had, some more of the experiences you've had with America Speaks around the world. Let's start with New Orleans and then move to some other places in the world. Well, I'm delighted to share more of the places that we've been able to serve in, in ways that made a big difference in people's lives. You know, people all over the world saw the tragedy that happened in the United States after Katrina and Rita and the flooding all along the Gulf Coast, but particularly devastated was the iconic city of New Orleans. And for totally unacceptable reasons, the federal government particularly was slow to respond. And even moving on to a year later, many, many people had not been able to get the kind of support and help that they should have gotten. And one of the things that the federal government was saying at the time was that they were they couldn't release funds to New Orleans because they were getting a different signal from the city council, from the mayor, from the governor, and from the state legislature. And until there was a unified no- voice from New Orleans, they would not release the federal funds. And this was the point at which we were approached to actually come to New Orleans and use our model to see if we could not help the city. And and obviously, from what I've said, you would know, Cheryl, that the politics in it were very, very complicated. Sure. So it wasn't even just what was happening to people, but what was happening in terms of the devastation of the city and of the state. So we joined an effort that was called the UNOP. It was uh, New Orleans Unified Planning Process. And some leaders in the city and in the state worked for weeks to come to an agreement that if a large number of New Orleanians, people both that had made it back to the city but others that were still in diaspora around the nation, if they would come to an agreement on what the priorities for recovery and rebuilding were, that the political levels would sign off and support those agreements and take it to the federal government. So prior to our arrival in New Orleans, there had been several failed planning processes. And part of the reason they had failed 
was because they just used standard patterns of announcing where the plan would be. And think, you know, we're talking about people whose lives were totally disrupted, that didn't have a place to live, that didn't have a job. And one of the things that America Speaks has really learned over the years is if you want people to participate, you go to them. You make it possible. You meet the circumstances of their lives and make it possible for them to participate. You provide transportation. You provide child care. You provide food. And in the case of New Orleans, New Orleans, there were still 200,000 people who were living in other places around the country. So we worked with all of the authorities and then began a very extensive outreach process and eventually held a meeting that had four major cities, New Orleans, where we had about a thousand people, then three other cities, excuse me, four other cities where the major concentration of New Orleanians still in diaspora were living. So that was Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Dallas, Texas, Houston, Texas, and Atlanta, Georgia. And those five sites, we did the same model that I described earlier in the show, you know, people in convention centers, roundtables, computers, keypads. But the element we added was we used broadcast satellite so that we actually hooked those five cities live so everybody could see each other, everybody knew each other was going through the same conversation. And then because there were so many people in diaspora around the country, we used the web. We did a webcast and invited people, some cities it was libraries, some it was community centers, sometimes it was churches, sometimes it was somebody's home. And so we added 16 other locations, ranging all the way to the West Coast, Seattle, all the way, we had somebody in Maine. So as as you know, people ended up all over the country. Yeah. So all these people were able to go through exactly the same conversation at the same time and were able to look at the plans that were being proposed. What were the priorities between investing in schools and hospitals and housing and infrastructure, roads and the bus system? Everything needed to be rebuilt. Everyone knew that it would take a couple of decades. So very tough choices were going to have to be made about where the dollars went first. And this was really what the the dilemma was. We started that meeting, Cheryl, because something we haven't talked about on this show that's really important is that you have to deal with people on a values level, not just the choices that they need to make about a budget or about a recovery plans. It has to, at the at the most human level, include their spirit as well as their hearts and their minds around what do we care the most about. So the very first question we asked these 3,500 people that were all over the country, but they were all live and they knew each other and could see each other. I mean, they didn't know each other personally, but knew they were all in the right. same process. The very first question we asked them was, what do you love about New Orleans? Oh. And what do, you, what do you miss most about your city? And it frankly almost brings tears to me now because, I mean, people yeah. all over the country were crying in terms of finally getting to express at the deepest level what they felt they had lost. Mm. And the tone wow. that set and the openness that set not that we didn't have many hours of work still to do, but by the end of the day, there was a definite set of priorities that the votes in terms of matching those priorities was above 80%. Mm-hmm. 
So the mayor could stand up, the city council members could stand up, the governor's representative could stand up and say, we will stand behind this set of priorities. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, it then had to go, those, that outcome had to go through a formal approval process that had about five steps in it. But virtually, I think it was about six months later, if I'm remembering right, that set of priorities went to the federal government, and for the first time, monies were released to New Orleans. Now, the, oh, wow. it's really a wonderful, wonderful outcome. And it's also true that because there isn't enough money, there are still people in New Orleans that haven't been responded to about their basic housing yeah. needs. Yeah. So on a much smaller scale, America Speaks is still there, still working with the right. people who just right. were moved out of trailers a few weeks ago so that there can continue to be a collective voice of real people about what we need most. Wow. That is a very inspiring story, and it's clear that you have a, you're putting a human face to a lot of these systems issues, and, you know, which sometimes I think we all forget when we're looking to solutions, and um, you certainly have done that. And, and I also hear in you, Carolyn, um, something I think is really important for the work you do, which is a tremendous and deep respect for all people of all backgrounds and all beliefs. And and I was noticing how carefully you spoke about our politicians and, you know, there was not any leaning in one direction or the other. And you believe that everyone needs to have their voice. And that in itself has got to um, add value to what you can provide around the country and around the world. And, you know, we are running out of time. I can't believe it. It's terrible. I can't believe it. I know. I know. And um, I, so I want to invite you back another time. And well, great. You can tell us more about America Speaks. And as we get, um, as the political situation changes here in the U.S., one way or the other, um, we'll be interested to hear how you're involved in that. Terrific. So, so let me at least um, tell your listeners that they could follow up on looking at these cases, New Orleans, New York, uh, Voices and Choices, which was a large-scale economic development project in Ohio, by going to our website, which is very okay. easy. It's just www.americaspeaks.org. And next Great. time we talk, we should talk about work we do in other countries where we go under the trademark of global voices. Wonderful. Carolyn Lukensmeyer, thank you so much for being with us today. And uh, everybody else, remember to think big because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G dot com. See you next week.